Well, I'm going to invite you this morning in our time to, to turn to Matthew chapter 11. And this morning, as you're turning, I'll tell you about yesterday morning. Uh, yesterday morning, we found ourselves uh, in Bristol for a cross-country race for Clark. And uh, it was a beautiful morning in East Tennessee. And uh, I've not seen uh, one of those in almost 25 years. Uh, went to college in, in East Tennessee and beautiful area. And, you know, we didn't really have much time to linger uh, because the boys had a band competition in the afternoon uh, in Glenver. So we had to make a whirlwind trip. And so we're heading back. And we realized that we needed gas. Um, so we took an exit and we followed a sign. And we followed. And followed. <laughs> and then we saw a sign that said detour. Unfortunately, the little, the, the icon on the dash had, had not started pinging. You know, ding, ding, ding. So, but the question is, what do we do? What do we do? We see warning signs and we, uh, we wonder, you know, do we turn around? Do we just keep going regardless of warning? And repentance, turning from things that are bad for us. Jesus gives us lots of points to ponder this morning in Matthew chapter 11. We're going to start at verse 20 and, and move through this Move through this fairly quickly. Um, verse 20, Jesus begins to denounce cities in which most of his miracles were done because the cities did not repent. And he, he begins to revile these cities. Well, why? Well, in these cities, maybe villages, they weren't huge metropolises like we know, but in these gatherings, in these, in these villages, His miracles, Jesus' miracles, these, these works of power, these, these visible manifestations of the presence of God, they were seen and they were experienced by inhabitants in these cities. And, and the reason that, that Jesus denounces these cities is because they do not repent. They don't you know, they have all these warning signs, but they don't turn. And, and they refuse to turn away from sinful behavior. And, and this is what we know, that God hides His face from those who turn away from Him. And in our time together these last few months, we, we've, we've studied the book of Jonah. Um, do you remember what God told Jonah he, 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 he said to give them a, he gave them a, he, he gave Jonah an eight word sermon. Said, said go to, to Nineveh, give this prophecy of judgment, 40 more days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. Well, what did they do? Well, as we talked back in the spring, they turned from their, their sinful ways, they repented. And, but unlike Nineveh, these cities that Jesus is giving this address to, they, they don't turn. And there's three cities. There's Chorazin, there's Bethsaida, and there's Capernaum. And in these three cities, they're at the northern end of the Sea of Galilee, 
And Matthew tells us that most of Jesus' miracles, these works of power, you know, the word dynamite uh, comes from a Greek word that means power, dunamis. And, and that's really the word that's used here. I mean, these are powerful. You know, when a stick of dynamite goes off, how many of you all ever watched the Dukes of Hazard? You know, about every episode, somebody set off a stick of dynamite, right? I mean, that was a major plot device, and so you can't really hide a stick of dynamite under a bushel, right? I mean, it just it'd be a loud, <laughs> it'd be a loud kaboom. But, but anyway, these visible manifestations of God, they're seen and they're experienced in these cities by these inhabitants, but these cities really weren't interested in the things of God for too long. And, and so Jesus says, he says, Woe to you! Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that occurred in Tyre and Sidon, which occurred in you, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. So Chorazin and Bethsaida are two cities that are mentioned. Mighty works, powerful works, are seen in these cities. The things of God are seen. Healings, all sorts of things. But the presence of God is ignored. The activity of God is ignored, and, and there's no repentance. There's no turning around. There's no turning from sin. And now Jesus gives a word of judgment. He, he tells them, woe. He tells them, alas. And then Jesus compares these first two cities to two more. He, he mentions Tyre and Sidon, and they're ancient cities in Palestine. They're, they're, they've got considerable wealth and splendor. You know, maybe they're like the Los Angeles and the and the Las Vegas of their day. I don't know. But Jesus says that if the miracles which, accord, which occurred in Chorazin and Bethsaida, if they had occurred in Tyre and Sidon, Tyre and Sidon would have turned around early from their behavior. They would have repented, and they would have, and they would have worn sackcloth and ashes. Well, a reminder of sackcloth and ash, it's, it's, this is what is worn by people who, who are... There's a posture of mourning, a posture of, of grieving about sin. Um, that's how you know if somebody is really interested in the things of God when someone begins to feel guilty about sin. Um, children that come forward sometimes at vacation Bible school, you know, the first question I ask them, well, well tell me why you came forward. And, and you begin to see, well, if these children begin to feel a sense of guilt, and they won't use the G word, they won't use the word guilt, but they'll talk about feeling sorry for something they've done. And they want to do something about that. Well, and of course, then we present the, the reality that Jesus is the one that deals with sin. We can't do anything about it, but Jesus can. And so we, 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 we turn from that. And, and, and so we grieve about our sin. And, and that's what the sackcloth and ash is, is for. And, and again, we saw this in Jonah as well. If you remember what happens when God gives Jonah this eight this eight-word sermon, and, and, and what happens? Jonah goes to Nineveh, and, and he says, 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. And if you remember, the people of Nineveh, they believed in God. They called a fast. That means they stopped eating to focus on the things of God. They, they, they put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least. That means from prince to pauper, right? And, and, and the word reaches... The king. I mean, it, it came from. It was a grassroots movement of guilt. The king didn't call it. The people realized. The king sees what's going on, and what happens? He arises from his throne, takes his robe off, 
all of his kingly splendor, covers himself with sackcloth, ash. He issues a proclamation at this point and says, In Nineveh, let not man or beast or herd or flock taste a thing. Don't let them eat, don't let them drink. But man and beast, both of them, should be covered with sackcloth and let men call on God earnestly that each may turn from his wicked way. The violence in his hands. And then the king says this in Jonah. He says, who knows, God may turn, God may relent, withdraw his burning anger so that we will not perish. And if you remember the story, God sees their deeds. God sees that they turn from their wicked ways. And God relents concerning the calamity that he had foretold that he would do. We, we see evidence of God relenting judgment when persons and cities and nations turn from sin. And Jesus, here in Matthew, gives us a contrast between, between these cities. You know, regarding these, these two that he mentioned, Chorazin and Bethsaida, he says, nevertheless, there in verse 22, I say to you, it will be more, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. Yeah, Jesus goes there, the day of judgment. Wow. Divine judgment, a time of sentencing. Then Jesus moves on to the third city. And you, Capernaum, will not be exalted to heaven, will you? You will descend to Hades. For if the miracles had occurred in Sodom, which occurred in you, it would have remained to this day. Capernaum, fishing city by the Sea of Galilee. It's flourishing, it's growing, and it's Jesus' home base for much of his time there, much of his ministry. You know, if you remember the story a few weeks ago about the healing of the centurion's servant, the healing of Peter's mother-in-law, that all happened in Capernaum. But this is what happens. Jesus says there's no exaltation to heaven for Capernaum. There's no raising up to glory that Capernaum will descend to, to Hades, there's going to be separation from the things of God. And then Jesus mentions Sodom. I would hate to be compared to Sodom. <laughs> Sodom is known as a place where God's judgment was cast. And Jesus says that if the miracles which occurred in Capernaum had occurred in Sodom, wicked, evil, filthy Sodom... Sodom would have turned. They would have seen the signs. They would have turned from their behavior and not have been wiped out by fire in the sky. Sodom would still be standing. So what does Jesus say about Capernaum? He says, Nevertheless, I say to you that it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. Wow. There in 23, Jesus says something else. Capernaum, you will not be exalted to heaven, will you? It's as if Jesus knows. Well, he does know. <laughs> but it's Jesus, it's like he's telling us that the city recognizes its own sinfulness. That they really kind of know what to expect. They realize their unwillingness to turn from sinful behavior. 
they're, they're, they're not willing to repent, to turn around. And you know, they're okay with it. They don't, that's okay. They don't mind if they are obliterated. It's like Capernaum knows of its, its impending eternal fate, and they're saying, yeah, it's not a problem. Wow. But we all know when we do wrong, don't we? We all know, we, 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 from the time we are children, we know we have this innate sense of right and wrong, and, and that's because of God's Holy Spirit. And it's like Jesus is implying that Capernaum knows, yeah, you, you know you're not going to make it, don't you? Living in a land that, that does not seek the Lord... That boils down to homes that don't seek the Lord. That boils down to individuals that do not seek the Lord. That's frightening in 2019. Then Jesus says this in verse 25. At that time, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for this way was well-pleasing in your sight. So Jesus gives praise to the Father. The Lord of heaven and earth, because the Father, He has hidden things, these spiritual revelations, He's hidden them from the wise and intelligent, quote-unquote. Well, who are the wise and the intelligent? Well, looking at the, at the words, that, that points to those that are skilled in letters, cultivated, Learned the, the Jewish theologians, the scribes and Pharisees. You know, we've seen these, we've seen these rascals throughout our time studying Matthew. They exist to be a thorn in the side of Jesus. These religious leaders, you know, they thought that they knew more about God the Father than Jesus, God the Son, did. <laughs> but the Father, the Lord of heaven, has given revelation to these of these things of God to infants, quote-unquote. They're in verse 25. Well, who are the infants? Well, the infants, metaphorically speaking, they're childish, they're untaught, they're unskilled. These are persons that are not blinded by religious tradition. And Jesus says that this way of revelation from the Father is well-pleasing, is well-pleasing in the Father's sight. Do you see that in verse 26? This way was well-pleasing in your sight. You need to remember that. Well-pleasing. That, that's the Father's good pleasure. What else has been well-pleasing that we've seen thus far in the sight of the Father? Well, Matthew 3 tells us. And if you remember the story that after, after he's baptized, Jesus comes up out of the water immediately. And behold, John the Baptist sees all this. The heavens are opened. John sees the Spirit of God descend like a dove and land on Jesus. And then John hears, says, Behold, a voice out of the heavens says, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Yeah! The baptism of the Son. The, really the coronation of, of the Son of God, the King of Heaven. And, 
And, and this signifies that the kingdom of heaven is, is here. You know, God the Father has revealed God the Son, the embodiment of the kingdom of heaven, and this is well-pleasing in the Father's sight. That great and final revelation, Jesus. Jesus says in 27, All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and, it, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal Him. That's a tongue twister. <laughs> I don't know how I, I'm using New American Standard. Some of you may be using NIV or King James. But that right there is a tongue twister. What, what to quote one of the teens in my household, what does that even mean? <laughs> I'll tell you. All things have been handed over to Jesus the Son by the Father. These things have been delivered. And no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son, with exceptions being the ones to whom the Father is revealed by will of the Son. Jesus chooses who to reveal the Father, to whom to reveal the Father. It's Jesus' choice. In essence, the Son knows the Father, and anyone else that wants to know the Father, the Son chooses to make this revelation, and the Son is the way to make this acquaintance. What did Jesus tell Thomas in the Gospel of John? Chapter 14. Thomas says to Jesus, Lord, we, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus answers, I am the way. Yeah, amen. I am the truth and I am the life that no one comes to the Father except through me. Amen. So when you've got media figures that say, all, road, all roads lead to God, Matthew 11 says that's not the case. That all faiths are, are valid. If it's valid to you, then it's valid. No, I mean, Matthew 11 doesn't say that, does it? Jesus says this in verse 28. Come to me, <laughs> all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and, and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Woo, doesn't that sound good? <laughs> you know, he's been preaching hard, hasn't he? And then, thanks be to God, Jesus says, come to me. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know, this invitation is given to come to Jesus. Jesus says, you come to me. I love words. We used to, you know, the, see Dick and Jane in Spot Run? You know, we, we play it, you know, in, in a sentence, the noun, you know, Clark runs. Clark runs cross country. Clark is the subject. What's the verb, runs? What's the object, cross country? I drink coffee. <laughs> I'm the subject. Drink is the verb. And coffee, that's the object. Well, right here, when Jesus says, you come to me, 
This is what he's saying. This is, this is the word here. The verb is, call, is what is called an imperative. And it's a second person plural. And so, again, grammar lesson, but this is why. Jesus is giving an imperative. It's an imperative tense, and he is, it's a command. And he's, he's telling you, meaning you and you, plural, to come, to come to him. It's an imperative. It's a directive. And, 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 and for whom? <laughs> for whom is this invitation? Well, what did we just read? All who are weary. <laughs> All. All are weary. All are weary. What's the state of weary? Well, it's being exhausted. Where's the state of weary? Look around. <laughs> are you weary? Yes, you are. All who are heavy laden. What's the state of heavy laden? Well, it's being weighed down. Where's the state of heavy laden? <laughs> Look around. Jesus will give us rest. Amen. What kind of rest? It's a refreshment. It's a cease of struggle. And in addition, this invitation, it's given to take the yoke of Jesus. Yoke. Well, what is a yoke? <laughs> well, as many of you know, a yoke is a wooden bar placed over the neck of a pair of animals so that they can pull together. What unites two forces, two people, to move together, to work together as one. And, and these two elements, uh, you know, they're operating like a pair of oxen pulling a single plow. And Jesus says to take his yoke upon us so that we can learn from Jesus. And Jesus says here that, that he's gentle, he's mild, he's, he's humble in heart, he's lowly in spirit, he's gracious. And he says that you, I, we will find rest for your, my, our souls. Jesus' yoke is easy. It's useful. It's, it's gentle. It's pleasant. It's kind. And you know, there's a contrast between eerie, easy and weary, isn't it? I'm saying eerie. <laughs> between easy and weary. Easy and exhausted are two different things. Jesus says his burden is light. His task of service is not burdensome. There's a, there's a contrast between light and heavy laden. Light and a burden. There's a difference between being light and being weighed down. And Jesus says, I am gentle, I am humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. Rest, rest for the souls, rest for your soul and for my soul comes only from Jesus. Yoking figures into the connection of Jesus' character and our character. 29 mentions two things, gentleness and, and humility and 
And in verse 25, you see, a, you see it, it talks about infants. So there's, there's a relationship between gentleness and humility and, and infancy. And, and in 25, the Father has revealed hidden things to infants. Those that are not burdened down by tradition. And those that aren't mired down by, listen to this, attitudes and preconceptions of how religious things should look. These that come to Jesus like children, like infants, will be dependent solely upon Jesus, and there will be no arrogance, there will be no attitude, only humility and gentleness. And see, these are character qualities of Jesus and qualities that we can mirror only if we are yoked to Him. And from what we've been reading, the yoking of these two forces, there's a strong one that takes the lead. Modeling for the one that follows behind what to do. And in the same way, if we follow Jesus, if we allow Jesus to take the lead spot in the yoke, He will not only be our modeling guide, but His Spirit will equip, will equip us for the hard road ahead that He's been promising. And that's good news. We are not alone. All the while, He will give us rest for our souls. In just a few minutes, we're going to close, and, and I'll, you know, I'll give an invitation. I do every week, saying that the altar is open, and if you need to deal with sin, if you need to pray or talk to the preacher, you know, normally we sing a song together, but today, my wife is, is going to sing a song with lyrics upon which I would like you to ponder and reflect. And the altar will still be open, and I'll, I'll be here. You know, invitations, they serve as a prompt. When I'm invited to a wedding or what have you, that, that lets me know to come. That, that's an invitation to come. And... And this morning in our scripture, Jesus gives us an invitation. He, this, this invitation to come to Jesus, it, it's, it's a revelation. We've been seeing these revelations this morning in, in the scripture. And revelations, you know what they are? They're visitations from God. They are kingdom encounters. And the thing about these invitations from Jesus... Jesus is saying, don't miss it. Don't miss it. Don't be like those cities. Don't be like those persons that missed it. God shows up and we don't turn from it, our, our routines and our sins. Don't miss it. This revelation, it's good news. And we saw that this revelation was well-pleasing, didn't we? Well-pleasing. And we saw how God the Father was well-pleased at Jesus' baptism. You know, there's another well-pleasing revelation in the New Testament. In Luke chapter 2, there were shepherds out in the field. You know, and they're keeping watch by night over their flock of sheep. And, and an angel of the Lord shows up. 
stood, stands by them, and the glory of the Lord shines around those shepherds. And the shepherds, I mean, you remember the story. They are sore afraid. They're terrified. And the angel says unto them, says, Be not afraid. Fear not. Fear not. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be for all the people. There is born to you this day Christ the Lord. And suddenly, and you know the story with the angel, there's a multitude of heavenly hosts, and they're praising God, and they're saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace among men, in whom he is well pleased. good news. It's great joy. God the Son has come to dwell with man. Come to dwell with man in whom he is well pleased. And the Apostle John tells us that we've seen Jesus' glory full of grace, full of truth. And this glorious one is telling us to come to him. Take his yoke upon us. And if, and if we choose to come to him, choose to take his yoke, this one with whom we are yoked, who carried a cross all the way to Calvary, will carry our heavy burdens of sin and will give us rest for our souls. Doesn't that sound The altar's open.